Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, Janine. We are at episode 247 of this show, (laughs) the main show. And we have, oh look, it's another newspaper-based movie that we have today. Because we're just carrying it on, aren't we? We're, We're just, we're keeping the newspaper movies train rolling along um, <laughs> i'm not sure how much longer it may roll on for because we we might just stick this little impromptu newspaper series to 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 four movies that seems appropriate really yeah, doesn't and it, there's an abundance of newspaper films out there so well there really could, is i think we could wrangle up one more for the final episode I mean, of the I, month. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we, we could do, but we could do something different as well, because let's not forget we have done quite a number of, of pretty great media-based movies in the past as well. That, that is true. Uh, would probably fall into this particular little impromptu series pretty well if we hadn't already done them. I'm thinking of things like Sweet Smell of Success or or something like that. Or His Girl Friday. Or or, a, or even a His Girl Friday, yes, of course. But um, no, we're, we're back today. We have another dark movie. We have another bleak movie. Um, <laughs> when I say bleak movies, sometimes I feel like people view that as a negative. And I don't think it's a negative, Janine. I just think these are descriptions of the type of movies that we're watching at this particular time. Bleak movies can be very entertaining movies, can be very gripping movies, can be very, you know, eyes glued to the screen movies. Just because they're miserable doesn't mean they're, (laughs) you you know, doesn't mean you shouldn't want to watch them. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be exciting. But we also had a bit of, you know, lighthearted, competitive uh, comedy happening, I think, in the moment, so... There was a little bit. There was a little bit in this movie. This movie we're talking about today is, is uh, While the City Sleeps from 1956. It is uh, Fritz Lang's penultimate American movie, which I found quite uh, interesting. I think his actual um, last movie, if I've got the years right, were, was Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. Also which with is uh, a- Dana Andrews. And yes, also with Dana Andrews, we have done it on the show, um, well, but I'm sure I've somewhere. Yes, that this was Fritz Lang's penultimate movie. It's a penultimate American movie. He went back to Germany for a little bit after this, basically because he had annoyed everybody in Hollywood because he was such a nasty person Ooh. in the director's chair. He didn't get on with producers, Fritz Lang. He was very stubborn, very, uh, very kind of authoritarian as a director. Um, did his job very, very well, but when you annoy many, many people, I've got to oh, say yeah. he's one of my favourite directors of this particular era, but I don't think he was a particularly pleasant a person popular, at all. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of and he personality, certainly, yeah. He certainly was not a popular personality within Hollywood. Um, but he made some some wonderful, wonderful he movies. Did. And I don't think this movie is any different. No, um, this was a nice little surprise, a little yeah. nugget in there. <laughs> yeah, particularly in his, of course, darker output, in his noir output, he tends to be quite a dark, um, moralist kind of director. He's very... He, very bleak, like I say. Sometimes a lot of his movies are look at all the nastiness in the world. Yeah, don't be like this, basically. And I think this movie's no different, really. But there's elements to While the City Sleeps that I think work really well for it being a Fritz Lang movie. And there's plenty of interesting things that that make it quite a different style of newspaper movie, even that we have. Uh, covered in the past three weeks yeah um it's 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 interesting yes what are you what were your kind of first initial thoughts on this movie um i 
found myself really getting into the competition aspect of the characters uh, and and Vincent Price's kind of (laughs) uh, role, very different from how we're used to seeing him. So I was really curious to see like how his character was going to play in this movie. Um, So that was kind of my main focus. Uh, So I did like those moments of levity in terms of uh, kind of how Vincent Price as this boss pits these these newspaper guys against each other. So that kind of, uh, you know, peppered in some levity amongst kind of the more dramatic and suspenseful and noir elements in the movie. So I thought it was a good balance of things. And it was nice to see uh, a different side of Vincent Price for sure. There's an awful lot to balance in this movie. I think this is a movie that is really hinges. It hinges on having a good balance, especially when it's got the kind of stacked cast that it does have. And I think it does that really where we we will, of course, talk a lot more about that. And, of course, talk a lot more about Vincent Price being in a noir movie after he's really started in horror movies, which is... A little bit unusual. He obviously he's he's more known for noir movies before he really became the uh, the icon of horror that he is known for. And a mustacheless Vincent. A mustacheless Vincent that. Price. <laughs> you could say that is it Howard Duff playing um, Mr. Kreitzer in this movie, who actually has a, a Vincent yeah. Price mustache mm-hmm. opposite Vincent Price. It's almost putting Vincent Price to shame. Yes, uh, which which is is disgraceful if you ask me. Which I guess Should also never... plays into the uh, <laughs> and into his role in the film. Uh... It, it does. It does. <laughs> it's even better. It's actually their purpose. The underlying does... competition with Vincent Price. Once we get does into this the mustache, <laughs> does this mustache get into the mustache hall of fame purely for actual thematic reasons in the movie? <laughs> Possibly. I will think on it over the course of the episode, Janine. There is one thing we have to do before we get into the main discussion of today's show, though, and that is say a big thank you to all our wonderful patrons of It's a Wonderful Podcast. Uh, if you would like to join them in supporting us over on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that is right for you. There is also a link in the description of this episode, as well as a, don- a donation link. If you would like to support us in that way, if you are feeling very, very generous today, we would be most grateful. We love our patrons. We can't do what we do without their wonderful support. And we, of course, say a big thank you to start to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Maxwell Haddad. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Friel. Thank you to Janine's Big Brother Justin, 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Finobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Fies. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsock. Thank you to our lovely friends, Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. Thank you to Eric Garcia. And a thank you to a Billy Pollahan. Yes. Applause for the patrons and applause for the movie, as I often like to say, Janine, when we finish doing uh, the, the, the patron thank yous, I suppose, don't I? Um, but no, I really, I really, I was impressed by this movie. And I was impressed by this movie, like I said, in terms of its balance. Because, oh my God, does it have to balance a ridiculously equal cast. You've yeah. got Dana Andrews, Rhonda Fleming, George Sanders, Howard Duff, like I mentioned, Thomas Mitchell, Vincent Price, Ida Lupino is in this movie. Um, Sally Forrest. It's, it's, it's a very, very big cast. And like you said, because it's got this competition aspect to it, yeah. where Vincent Price is, uh, is the son of, of a a big kind of media mogul mogul yeah who, who dies at the beginning of the movie and Vincent Price takes over he doesn't really know that world he doesn't know that that atmosphere but he also he, seems he very resentful 
towards his father as well. Who oh, he does. Take him under his wing to show him the business. They never really got along. So he's kind of taking over this business as to kind of a, a way to, uh, you know, show up his father from beyond, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very... It's it's got that almost um, gothic quality to it, and you 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 expect this with Vincent Price, but it does have that very brooding kind of "I'm going to do better than you, my dead relative." That yeah, we're Ilsey. used to seeing from <laughs> Vincent Price, I suppose, yes, aren't we? Yeah. And kind of these the elements to him where he's constantly thinking about ancestry and constantly thinking about kind of the 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 dead and things like this yeah. and just playing on his mind although there is at times in this movie he's he's a little bit lighter um i often think vincent price is at his best when he is at his most broodingly miserable yeah and i mean he, he stalking to... around going woe yeah, is for... me woe is me he yes i mean best roles <laughs> he tries to he's tries to kind of like be a bit self-deprecating but his ego won't let him take it that far yeah so you know he gets a little bit arrogant in things and you know now that he has this power he has no problem like lording it over the, the these men who work you know who have these higher positions at the paper so he calls them all in to immediately kind of just you know uh, have this dick measuring contest about you know I'm in charge and I have all this power over you and <laughs> you know and you know just to make himself because he's always he seems like he's always kind of been a small person uh, and so now that he has this power he kind of wants to play like I'm a big man kind of thing so it definitely very very shows, unusual yes it's very much a, a a fragile insecure Vincent Price trying to you know play big man is definitely kind of Which the vibe of his character. He's very, very interesting. I mean, obviously, this is me we're talking about. Vincent Price was a massive draw in actually wanting to watch this movie at this uh, moment for the show. Um, any any new movie that I can see with Vincent Price in, I will, of course, gravitate towards. Um, this reminded me a little bit of... Um, a movie called The Web from 1947 where Price is also playing this kind of boss figure who ends up being essentially the villain of the movie. Uh -huh. um, Edmund O'Brien's in that movie. It's a really good noir movie. I mean, that's, it's, it's 1947. Um, so it's, it's in kind of full Price doing quite a good few noir movies territory obviously he did laura as well in 44 which we have covered also, in the past yes, on this show also has dana andrews and vincent price is laura dana andrews as well i believe dana because i was like i couldn't remember where i had seen dana andrews before he looked very familiar to me and when i looked him up beyond a i was like is that one movie with that like law name <laughs> i couldn't remember yeah. and then i was like oh yes beyond a reasonable doubt but then laura was also there and so i was like oh he was in laura okay. oh yes he is so yeah <laughs> it, it has been that long since i've seen yeah. laura, to be honest um but i do really like him in these movies you see elements of what he would become in his very theatrical horror movies yeah you know 10 years after this or not even 10 years after this almost six five years after this um there is a brooding nature to his performance in this movie there is a sadness to his performance in this movie and there is a somewhat innocence not innocence in the sense of I'm happy-go-lucky skipping around, look at me, I'm six foot four, Vincent Price acting like a ten-year-old. naivete of to him. Naivety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a very kind of, I think one thing, but everything else going on around me is yeah, totally kind of something else. He's <laughs> yeah. completely oblivious. He's yeah. completely oblivious to most things going on in this movie, but 
he does set off this competition aspect of this movie where they're all the kind of major players at this particular media company. There's a newspaper involved. There's a telecast involved. There's a wire service involved. This is Thomas Mitchell, George Sanders, uh, Howard Duff, and Dana Andrews are all well, no, kind of... I believe uh, James Craig is, is Harry Kritzer. Oh, I apologize. Apologize. Howard Duff is the policeman. Apologies. Oh, yes, Apologies. he's the police friend. Yeah. Got my actors mixed up there. You are right, um, James Craig. Um, what was I saying now? I've forgotten what I was so saying. So these big players uh, in this media company, now that his father has passed, Vincent Price has taken charge. So he decides he's going to invent this new position, executive director, uh, to kind of really handle most of the, uh, you know, big aspects of the company so he puts them all kind of in this competition you know whoever does the best who gets the best you know headlines whatever um they will get this position so uh, a murder has happened we kind of open the movie with this murder and so now uh it, it's actually like the front page of the paper when uh vincent price's father has died so now it's become kind of this hot news. So now it becomes this whole situation where Vincent Price kind of sees it as whoever can solve this murder and, and find the murderer, um, that's going to be the person that I make the executive director. So now it kind of turns into not just getting the best story, but who's going to find out who this, the identity of this murderer, because that's going to be the biggest, hottest news. And that's going to be the person I make the executive director. So now it turns into this competition kind of turns into a um, mystery solving <laughs> uh, does. expedition for these, these guys. So it does. And uh, a hell of a lot of the movie is dedicated to basically people backstabbing each other and really playing fairly deplorable people. Yes. Who do just completely amoralistic things. This is what we should be used to now, having watched Ace in the Hole and having watched Scandal Sheet last yeah, week. Yeah, these newsmen are not above kind of uh, demeaning uh, and manipulative tactics to get what they want. So these three guys who are kind of pitted against each other are trying to recruit other people who work within the company who have assets that can help them kind of to be on their team to help them figure this out. So Dana Andrews is like a news anchor and he, you know, has ties to, you know, he has a good cop friend um, and, you know, he's good at kind of getting stories. He used to be a, like a crime journalist, so he has good insight on this. So, you know, um, people are trying to recruit him for their team to help. And then there's another kind of guy who writes crime stories, so they're trying to recruit him. So each guy is trying to uh, find another guy within the company that can, you know, help them solve it. But most people are after Dana Andrews to kind of be on their team. So. Yes. All the while, there's not just competition going on in terms of the the, the story, the murder, the, the job situation. There's a little bit of romance competition going on as well. Oh, yeah. Because there's... Dana Andrews has his fiance, I guess, but kind of like, does he really want to be her fiance? Well, the the kind of a assistant, like secretary, you know, for uh, uh, George Sanders' character, Mark Loving, he kind of has this little flirtatious relationship. Like, we're to assume that they've probably been dating for a while. Yes. Um, so then they do get engaged, and and they're together. But then there's another female writer at the paper, uh, Mildred, who, you know, is very kind of flashy and confident and sexy. And so she kind of, you know, is going around flirting with everybody. She's kind of a busybody, a big mouth. She kind of has a thing going on with Mark Loving. So, you know, they kind of conspire to to get uh, Dana Andrews on their side um, with some seduction tactics and things like that. So it's very much Dana Andrews trying to you know, be a good guy and, and not screw things up with his fiance, but also, you know, 
being somewhat seduced as one does in a noir type film <laughs> so there's I'm, the romance I'm, elements play into into this plot as well which is like we talked about like so many different kind of plot threads and plot points happening but somehow they all really work together well and and you know flow in and out of each other seamlessly and it doesn't feel like you know very you know, jumbled as it could with with so many kind of side things and plot points and story points happening all at once by being this fairly big ensemble movie it's obviously it's not it's not a very long movie at all. It's about an hour and 40 minutes, but it's it's got a mass this massive ensemble and these side plots. It is just very, very impressively well balanced. You never feel like anything isn't explained. You never feel like anything is underdeveloped. You never feel like anybody doesn't get their fair share of, of time to shine yeah. you never feel like anybody is kind of undersold and i really like that i mean you you brought up mildred there and i just wanted to say how great i think ida lupino was in this movie yes. I think she's, she's wonderful anyway i mean at this point she's kind of doing a little bit more directing she's obviously very very well known as a, as a pretty big arguably the biggest name female director of the the golden era of hollywood oh. as we say because it's there's not that many of them yeah. there's not that many at all and ida lupino is certainly one yeah um, but she was very whether, you know natural and smooth and sexy and uh just really liked her character kind of somewhat devious but she's very playful about it yeah I mean, I was going to say whether she was allowed to actually have her name on uh, in the directing credits or not, a la the movie On Dangerous Ground that she actually oh. did direct, but somebody else had kind the credit of, yes, because, um, the because they did yeah. some work, which was a little bit of shame. She's also in On Dangerous Ground. She stars opposite Robert Ryan. It's a great movie. Oh. Um but I really, really liked her in this. She's a brilliant seductress in this movie. Yeah. Like you said, she's she's the movie's femme fatale. If the movie has a femme fatale, it is Ida Lupino. Um, and you are captivated by her. I think she is probably the highlight of this entire movie. And that's a strange thing for me to say in a movie that does include Vincent Price doing typically Vincent Price things and being generally delightful to watch on screen, um, and that includes George Sanders opposite yes. Ida Lupino for a lot of the time. George Sanders obviously someone that I really do find very, very Yes, engrossing he's great. He's appeared several him. times on the channel. Um, yeah, but, I, it was It was just the idea of him and, and Vincent Price in a movie together was enough for me to be like, okay, I'm Right, I'm it's in. like Battle <laughs> yeah. of the Voices. Yes, it? the way they speak incredible. is so perfect. Um, but just to get back to kind of the female characters, I actually liked all the female characters in this film, as you kind of oh, mentioned. Yeah. Everyone kind of had moments to shine and moments to really kind of, uh, you know, develop as characters. And the three kind of female leads here are all really well fleshed out. Um, <clears throat> so we do have uh, the Mildred character. Um, then we have Sally Forrest as Nancy uh, Liggett or L Liggett? Liggett. 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 So she is the receptionist of um, Mark Loving, uh, George Sanders' character, and the fiance of uh, Dana Andrews' character. And then we have uh, Rhonda Fleming, who is uh, the wife of Vincent Price, who is secretly. Who does not want to be the wife of Vincent Price. <laughs> no. He's just kind of, you know. She, he's he's basically bought her, you know, with all his riches, and so she's just kind of with him for those reasons. But she's having an affair with uh, Harry Kritzer, who is the third in this kind of competition. He's like the art guy for the paper. So, you know, he doesn't really have much to offer in terms of kind of finding stories. So his in to this uh, executive director job is through her kind of talking him up to her husband as he's having this affair with her. So... <laughs> Um, these these yeah. are really, really very interesting scenes. I mean, it speaks to the kind of movie it is. And let's just remind ourselves, 
Mr. Kritz is played by James Craig with his moustache, not Howard yes, Duff, who plays the yes. policeman. Please get his name right. Yes. Um, and if you look in the credits, he's, in quotes, honest Harry Kritzer. <laughs> he couldn't be further from, could he be? I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, literally, he's on the phone several times in this movie while Vincent Price is in the room trying to, oh, come on, yeah, come, come and see me. Come and see me, Dorothy. Please come and see me. Please come and see me now. You're just yeah. like, oh, I have to go to, I have to a fashion, go to the show, fashion my show with you now. <laughs> yes. And oh. Price is just there trying to play golf into a glass, and it's just a little bit strange. Vincent, some of Vincent Price's outfits in this movie as well, while he's at <laughs> yes. home, are a little bit strange. Yes, I'm very Wearing these shorts. suspenders <laughs> and shorts and things like this. Very unusual outfits yeah. for Vincent Price. We should be wearing yes. elaborate <laughs> clothes and suits, not whatever the hell he's got on in yes, this. I mean, this is thing. casual looks, but yeah, very a little silly. Um, which I think adds to kind of the silliness of the character. And then we also kind of get into, on top of everything else, we're getting into this this killer. Like, we open this movie with our killer, who's very much snarly and creepy, so that casting was pretty good. He just seemed very menacing. So we see him kind of attack a woman at the beginning, and then that's kind of how we get into our movie. And we had like some real like opening credits that felt like, you know, more yeah, modern very... <laughs> opening credits. With, Incredibly like, your... modern feeling. Yes, opening with your credits, like actually. bombastic music and the the names flashing on the screen, and uh, you know, it's not usually like our like listed credits and then you know and we had like a cold open you know which yes you know i, think the I, fact... I don't i don't think we see a lot really or that i can recall in, in older movies so certainly certainly not really it is quite unusual for the time but i suppose this speaks to people like fritz lang doing whatever the hell they want and just saying no i'm gonna do it this way yeah. you know it has to be done this way if you don't like it being done this way, you know, get out my face, which is <laughs> and that's the attitude, I believe. <laughs> no, exactly why nobody liked him. Um, but I really think the cold open works very, very well. Yeah. And I love, I love this movie as not just being this kind of murder investigative newspaper competition noir movie but for being a serial killer movie as well and for being a really really dark kind of look kind of character study of a serial killer movie i really find this aspect of the movie very very strong i mean the the, the killer himself we should expect him to give a good performance He's played by a Barrymore. Yes, John He's played Barrymore. By, yeah. Uh, yes, who is the son of John Barrymore. Yes. And I'm not quite sure where he fits in with Drew Barrymore. He's yeah. probably something like Granddad or like Great Uncle or something like that. Yeah. Um, but he is the son of, of John Barrymore. He is a Barrymore. He is really nasty in this movie and this is what i think i like fritz lang movies for um otto preminger is also really great at doing this in terms of in, in the world of noir it is bringing a pushing the boundaries almost of old hollywood pushing the boundaries of, of darkness of kind of deplorability like i said but of nastiness yeah. in these movies because this killer is really messed up he's, yes he has this very messed up idea about women because he was adopted and so he's grown to have this hate towards his adopted mo mother which plays into his hate kind of for all women and so he just kind of wants to go on this rampage and just you know you know put put all that hate and rage into whatever woman he sees <clears throat> so yeah um, and I like that there's this, you know, as clues kind of become more revealed and uh, all our kind of players are trying to investigate this case, 
Ed Mobley, Dana Andrews character, he kind of, you know, is onto some things and, and kind of figures some things out about the killer based off of kind of the information they have. So he does this news report kind of playing all all the things, you know, saying to the killer, basically speaking to him, saying, you know, you're a mama's boy and, you know, really trying to antagonize him and the killer's it's watching wonderful this. Scene. And it's so great. It 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 reminds me of um of Ransom like both versions right? yes yes when glenn ford glenn <laughs> yes. ford's talking directly to the camera that's obviously quite a a sad scene in that movie it's the high don't get me wrong yes. I think that is the absolute highlight scene of ransom when glenn ford is pleading directly to the camera and pleading yes. for his his son but to even come back playing into the because we watched the 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 mel gibson remake as well as a deja vu and in that one we actually do see you know the killer or the the kidnappers watching him and getting pissed off because mel gibson is very much like you know screw you you're not getting your money you're just a this but that person and antagonizing them because obviously they're not going to do anything if they don't think they're going to get their money so he just kind of takes that risk and just kind of calls them out and so it definitely had gave me those vibes of really just you know pointedly talking to your killer and you know making him fully aware that you know exactly what's going on with him and why he's doing what he's doing and he's just pathetic and all of these things so he's watching this and getting very mad that they've kind of figured him out you read these such and such comics and you know all these things and you know he's holding one of the comics as he says this and drops it on the floor so i like that they get the killer kind of rattled like oh gosh they're on to me um so uh yeah like just to jump from you know the killer's perspective and and his home life with his mother and then bouncing back to like this romance with <laughs> with ed mobley and and uh his fiance nancy and then we're getting into these three guys kind of bickering about this competition it's like so many things happening but they all are interconnected really well so you're just kind of jumping from thing to thing but it's very cohesive somehow it is and look admittedly i am someone that i I think prefers something not that this movie wasn't streamlined in its in its balancing i've spoke about how impressive i think that the balancing of every aspect of this movie was i do tend to be a person that enjoys kind of I suppose more simple or, or a more simple straightforward no not not simple story but just maybe not even more focused i'm not sure exactly how to describe what i like maybe i don't need like c plots and d plots yeah so i mean i, I think more focused is fair um you know well, that that's kind not of... to say that the movie's not focused well, no, just like more focused on kind of one specific or two specific kind of through lines that come together or something like that. But we're getting yeah. like A, B, C, D, E, F, G kind of plot lines that are all yeah. intersected and connected. And that's just the surprise of this movie is that somehow they make them work together really well. And it doesn't feel like a mishmash or a jumble or that any kind of storyline is wasted because they all seem necessary to the bigger plot or ending uh that the movie's working towards uh but generally i don't think many movies could work with these many kind of plot points going on no credit to the uh credit to the guys behind it i mean the people casey robinson wrote the screenplay of this movie so i suppose credit goes there for balancing your writing very well yeah um obviously lang doing the directing job but we expect competence from someone like fritz lang really don't we and please let me mention now before i totally forget to and hate myself for not doing but i think the most interesting thing about this movie for me from from the outside because i obviously look at movies generally from the outside don't what is the context of the movie what is the scenario of the movie what is the tone of the movie do i like that movie this is a fritz lang serial killer movie this is just m but 25 years later and i kind of love it for that 
it's not as philosophical as M. It's not as kind of innovative. Or even um, as focused on kind of just this killer's doing these things. No, M's obviously a very, very focused. The town movie. has this very, dilemma very to figure focused. out, do we kill him or do we like go to his level or do we kind of go above him that's you know that's kind of the general focus there's not more kind of going on other than that but i believe this was a big draw or this element was a big draw into why lang actually wanted to direct this story yeah and why this this killer could have been completely faceless or just kind of see him kind of in and out with these kills. But we actually kind of go home with him and see his home life, see him watching that news report, you know, see him kind of uh, having this back and forth with his mother, see him kind of planning and plotting. So, I mean, had, you know, it maybe didn't been a different director, they probably would have done less with kind of having deeper moments with this killer. It would have just kind of been showing him as just this figure kind of killing people and uh, no more than that yeah and he does he does something very similar to what he does in m with the killer not not humanizing them but allowing us to be familiar with them and the fact that we are allowed to be familiar with them makes what they're doing feel or, or makes us feel what they're doing is is kind of more is nastier is is yeah. is we are we have a more personal connection to what they're doing we are not distanced from it because we know them and we know in and in occasion later on in the movie we know who our killer is actually trying to target very personally because the, later on in the movie he tries to target Nancy obviously Dana Andrews um fiance and and George Sanders receptionist, the same individual. Yeah. He doesn't quite target Nancy, he ends up going after somebody else. But the fact we have this personal connection with actually both of these characters at this point makes us more interested in it, I think. And yeah. I think it works in the context of this particular movie. Yeah, it's how Bro you intersect Ransom, those yeah, it, it's how you intersect all these kind of crazy things because then you put this personal connection with these characters we've been following and then connect that directly to this killer that we're also following. Yeah, we brought up Ransom before, obviously the Glenn, the Glenn Ford mm -hmm. movie, where you never, never, ever, ever see the killer. Uh, yeah. Not the, 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 the kidnapper, yeah. the kidnapper. And I think that is absolutely perfect for that movie. That is why I really appreciated that movie. I enjoyed the remake of Ransom. I, I remember enjoying the Mel Gibson remake of Ransom, but I do think there is something quite special about never knowing who that kidnapper is in that original movie. Yeah. Something like that wouldn't work in this movie. I think you need the you need to spend that time with Barry Moore Jr. And yeah. the fact we do really does add a lot to it. And let's, let's not forget that while this is a serial killer movie and we keep kind of flicking back to his creepiness and stalking these various kind of women and being referred to as the lipstick killer and all this kind of stuff, yeah, we still have all this competition going on between the three of them or the four yeah. of them. And in trying to figure out who he is, to get this job and they're all kind of bickering with each other they're all backstabbing each other and you think that someone like george sanders would be perfect in terms of this bickering and backstabbing this yes. speaks to george sanders absolutely <laughs> oh, perfectly, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. we're expecting high quality sassiness from george <laughs> sanders in this movie and i think Rather unfortunately, I don't think it's the strongest no. use of George Sanders. No, it's not. He's more sidelined than I would have expected him to be. Of course, he does have his moments where he can kind of bring in his flair, you know, and do his job. He does, and he does but do that. And, he, he does and do when that. he has those moments, he, he fully goes for it. But he's just not, you know, up front as much as I would have expected or as much as I think any movie should use him. <laughs> yeah, but you think of 
you think of him in in All About Eve. It's not a big role he has in All About no, Eve. No, but he's very but memorable. He's, he's used perfectly. He yes. comes in, he steals the show with sassiness and quips, and then yes. kind of leaves and yes. comes and back just and, and just little does little gossip that. hound, you know. <laughs> he's perfect as a gossip pound. You think... Oh my god, he's playing he's playing it like a media person. This is even better. He should be doing this. And not that I was disappointed because it's tough to be disappointed, but I was kind of just constantly going, Oh, please just be a bit more George Sanders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um which George Sanders. I suppose <laughs> George, it, it's a phrase. It's a phrase. <laughs> I suppose there is there is an element of disappointment that I never like to be disappointed in things like this because I always like celebrating these movies. But there's an element to me wanting perhaps a little bit more no. from uh, fr- from George Sanders, and I don't even think that's George Sanders' fault. I think it's the particular character, and I think it's yeah, the fact so that he has to play things. with yeah. all these other people. Yeah. Um, and everybody's doing. I think Thomas Mitchell's really quite good in this movie as uh what what's what's his character's name um griffith the the editor of the newspaper oh, uh-huh. yeah i think he's he's uh he's bringing the kind of frantic um blubbering nature that he he's quite good for you know stumbling over his words and but but being really competent i think this is a good thing about what thomas mitchell brings to movies yeah. I think he's able to be very, very real life almost. He's he's kind of he's not this perfect speaker or perfect orator or yeah, anything he, like he's, that. He feels very natural, like you know, very. He's like a granddad, bumbly. Yes, uh, but you know, competent, but somehow still very kind of tripping over his words, like you said. Um, yeah, he definitely feels like a real person. <laughs> He really does. I really liked him. I really liked him. A a grouchy friend type, you know. A lovable grouch. Yes. (laughs) And thankfully not losing $40,000 like he does in Wonderful Life, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ruins the entire... To another Barrymore. (laughs) To another Barrymore, yes. All the Barrymores. Yes. Thomas Mitchell playing alongside Barrymores, of course he is. Um... (laughs) What else was I going to say? I've forgotten what else I was going to say. Now, I I just had... I was quite surprised by it, really. I was yeah. quite surprised by the movie. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. All I need from movies like this is to know it's a, a noir, a Fritz Lang noir. And I'm kind but of... In. We also get into a nice little... Because, like... Again, we talk about this movie juggling all kinds of storylines, all kinds of genres, but we do actually get another one with this kind of big chase sequence at the end of the movie. Uh, you know, the that's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> yes, and this whole big tense that whole sequence where the killer's kind of coming for Nancy. She's not speaking with uh, Ed, her fiance, uh, Dana. And no, I wonder why. It's not because yes. by any chance he's been off with Ida Lupino, is he? Yes, no, because no, you know no. he, you know, she was able to kind of flirt with him, get him drunk, and make out with him, and tell everyone in the office about it. So as he is unfianced, it's not appropriate for him to be making out with this other woman. So Nancy's not speaking with him. So when she gets a knock on her door, she thinks it's Ed, and so she's ignoring it, and it's it, it's actually the killer. So he starts pounding on her door and going crazy. And um, the the affair character, um, Mr. Fancy Mustache, he actually lives across the hallway from Nancy. Critzer. <laughs> yes, Critzer. And uh, uh, Vincent Price's wife is actually going to the apartment to see him. So, you know, he can't get into Nancy's apartment. So the first woman he sees, he just comes after her. So he goes after uh, Vincent Price's wife. Uh, 
Dorothy is that, is that her Dorothy, name? Yes. Dorothy, yes. And and attacks her. So it's a, this whole tense thing of her trying to fight him off. She gets away. Now the killer's on the run. And so it's this whole sequence of everyone trying to catch this guy and a chase down into the into the you know the train tracks and and then in sewers and it's just like a very yeah. intense so all of that scene of him pounding on the door trying to get to nancy him attacking dorothy him almost getting away and all this whole kind of chase sequence you know we get this whole big action set piece that plays really well too and it was very kind of tense and i find myself like getting all invested like oh my gosh what's gonna happen oh my gosh getting away <laughs> like so i love what a movie can definitely make me really get invested and feel things and i'm like watching like very tense and you know shaking around like oh my gosh like talking to myself so when a movie can get me to to you know feel things like that it's very much appreciated is this not also very similar to the chase in m when we're looking at peter Mm -hmm. laurie trying to hide in all those places and shadows we are We are, of course, a little bit more sympathetic to to Hans Beckert, to, to Peter Laurie, by the end of that movie because of the ideas within M and, and, yes, and the does he really want to, you know, does he want to commit these crimes? Yes, Is he mentally something he just can't and, help. Yeah, and, and do we punish him, him for that? Do we, you know, go to his base level, like, you know? This movie's this movie's very very much it, no. It's, he's it's, a bad person, bad man. It is. <laughs> it, it, it is much more catch straightforward in its morality. <laughs> yeah. It is catch the bad man. It is Barrymore Junior is evil, and please catch him. We are not sympathetic towards him no, not in at all in the movie. Um, but I think if 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 we were. It would add a, a really unnecessary extra layer to this yes, movie when we're because we're already, so many. <laughs> yeah. we're already too focused Overloaded. On, yeah. on the the newspaper competition aspect as well, um, which obviously plays into this final chase because it's not only is he going to get caught, but it's who is going to catch him and break the story because yes. we've been with all these guys trying to do this for the entire movie trying to get this new job that price has created and who's going to be the one to do it and as you might expect because really he's kind of the lead of the movie if the movie does have one lead dana andrews does end up succeeding above all the others yes which i suppose we, we we should have expected this shouldn't we i mean it wasn't really going to be James Craig Kritzer, was it? it, it well, I mean, there is a little really. situation where they do try to kind of manipulate uh, Vincent Price. Oh, there's plenty of manipulation. Into giving Kritzer the position. So for a short while, Kritzer does think he has it in the bag. So He does, but this is because he's having this affair. Yes. And this is because he thinks that Rhonda Fleming is going to influence Price, but Price is obviously very stubborn in himself. Yes. And also, like, doesn't really like his wife either, by the side. He's he's kind yeah, of a he, bit... He, he just kind of wants her because she's pretty and she will make him look good and give him some kind of status. Nobody's nice to anyone in this movie. Like, yeah. I think that... Who is the nicest person in this movie? Definitely Sally Forrest. Nancy. Nancy. Yeah, Nancy. Nobody else is really that nice to anybody else at all. She's kind of the one wholesome heart. You think Dana, you know, might be as well until he, you know, lets himself get drunk. You do, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, then he tries to play it off like it's not a big deal to her. And she's like, he does, which. It does come across does come across a little bit, um, and there's a whole plan where he does try to put her in danger with this killer, and kind of wants oh, to yeah, use, use her, her as a bit ba- of bait just to kind of win this position and and get the scoop. So, yeah. newspaper people are not nice people. This <laughs> no, is what we have terrible. learned in this uh, little series we have done, Janine. Yes. Newspaper people, Movie, are movies. The movies don't like the media. Yes. I think the, mo- <laughs> I think, the movies I think, think the media are either horrible or idiots. Yeah, essentially. Um, 
horrible in in three of the movies we've covered and idiots in libeled lady um <laughs> or just kind of bumbling Oblivious frantic and, individuals yes. yeah like spencer tracy is um there's very few when you think about it i mean there's very few real journalistic movies that are very positive think of something like all the president's men is probably is obviously a really positive kind of movie spotlight i suppose yeah is a really kind of positive but spotlight's a very miserable movie obviously because of what it's about all the president's men is a little bit more I can distance myself from that because it's obviously it's political, it's it's Watergate and all that business. Yeah, that's probably the positive journalism movie. That's probably all all, all the people who actually work for news outlets are just thinking we're all we're we're like Woodward and Bernstein, and you're not. You're actually like Dana Andrews in this movie, yes. or, or you get um, Kurt you Douglas know or Chuck Tatum in in Ace in the Hole. You're actually evil people. Who I do mean, we do get. Um, I'm get thinking of. Want. Yes, I mean, well, I also think of the Pelican Brief with Denzel Washington. He's he's oh, a pretty okay. honorable, yeah. honorable journalist. Yeah. So. Maybe maybe this is just an attitude for more recent times, or maybe a particular time. Maybe like, I don't know, a period of twenty years, twenty years ago, twenty five yeah. years ago, that maybe movies thought the media was kind of did some good work but not in old hollywood mostly trash back in the day yeah <laughs> not in old hollywood but like i said i i like these i like these depictions of it i think they are kind of truthful depictions of it is very very kind of people out for themselves and i think this movie this movie more so than than any of the others we've actually covered shows the i think dynamics of interworking relationships within a media business yeah and just how you know it's not just we're not just focused on one person which we can't i mean we're not in libeled lady that's a separate situation but think of last week think of scandal sheet we're really just kind of focused on broderick crawford yes yeah. john Derrick. yes donna reed but we're really just focused on the one person as a protagonist and what he, what his attitude is, what his morals are. Um, and we realise that there's none there. Ace in the Hole is a completely different beast in terms of obviously just being <laughs> the worst person. Yeah. Um, but this is several people. This is an entire newsroom of people doing it to each other and having understandable interworking relationships with each other but re but we we're realizing watching it that they're still all just out for themselves even though they obviously have to work with a big group um it is very very much all out for themselves and like i said this speaks to kind of fritz lang's bleak attitude to a lot of things to a lot of yeah to a lot of organizations and things like that. But in this. general, I feel like this is a, a very, we talked but it was very much a common depiction of newspaper people. So I don't think yeah. this would be a common portrayal if there weren't some type of truth to it. Oh no, there's definitely truth to it. 100% there's truth to it. 100% there's truth to it. No, I, uh, I, w I was, I enjoyed this movie. Yes, I enjoyed it was a really nice While the City Sleeps. I'm glad we uh, I'm not kind of do a fun run of these types of movies. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I apologize for fumbling over my words uh, this morning. We are on a we are on an early morning recording <laughs> today, so maybe my uh, brain was not working particularly phenomenally. So I uh, must apologize for that. But I have enjoyed today's episode. Janine, yeah, of it's a wonderful podcast episode two hundred and forty-seven. We have been talking. While the City Sleeps, 1956, Dana Andrews, Rhonda Fleming, George Sanders, Howard Duff, Thomas Mitchell, Vincent Price, Sally Forrest, John Drew Barrymore, James Craig, Ida Lupino. That is a ridiculous cast. Yes. Why is it so many people? 
and we do get those opening credits, don't we? Like you said, after that cold open of literally just throwing names at a black yeah. screen, of just like, look who's in this movie, look who's in this movie. <laughs> um, I should also mention why have I not mentioned this? It's a very, very late RKO radio picture because RKO oh. radio pictures uh, went uh, under in 1959, I think. So. 1956. Close to the end of its run. Close to the end of RKO radio pictures. We always like RKO radio pictures, Janine. You can't have pictures on the radio. radio (laughs) We don't get the boobada boob boob boob. (laughs) 30s movie. (laughs) This is we're 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 in triangle logo territory for RKO at this point. We're not in radio tower logo territory, unfortunately. I, I do tend to prefer radio tower logo yes but um just to go back to that i mean uh in the remake of beyond a reasonable doubt they actually did a modern <laughs> rko like radio tower logo. did they i don't remember that, that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't remember that not I'm gonna have to check. Movie. I'm gonna have to check now if if what I what I what I said before was true and beyond a reasonable doubt was actually after this movie and therefore his, his last, last movie, American movie. Or it was 1956 as well, beyond a reasonable doubt. So let's Around let's say time. it was a few months after. Okay. Right, let's let's say <laughs> I was right there. Okay. Yes, um, always correct. We never make mistakes. Oh. Here. It's a wonderful podcast. Well, you might not, but I certainly do. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, Janine, this is uh, this is the main show. This is where we celebrate old movies. We are getting ever closer to the big two fifty, big milestone episode there. But we we discover new old movies on this show. We show them love. This was a brand new movie for both of us, and we always enjoy it when that happens yes. on this show. If you like celebrating old movies as well, please let us know, you know, write a little question, write a little comment. You write, you write comments, you write this, there's, I'm sure on Spotify, there's a little question thing that tells yeah. people to... Apple, you can leave, you can leave comments, you can still leave voice messages. I, I oh, you certainly, <laughs> you certainly can. You certainly can. We haven't talked about those years, I don't think. I know. It is a thing. Um... But no, of of of, of course, it, it's not the only show you can find on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. Though we do have Morgan hasn't seen every single uh, every single Wednesday. Um, we are starting a, or we have started. I'm getting my recording days confused. Have we yes. started a new series of Morgan hasn't seen yet? I think so because yes. we did celebrate two hundred episodes of Morgan hasn't seen. That was a big one. What a fun series that was in general. Reminisce, having a look back over the history of Morgan Hasn't Seen. That show is every Wednesday. We do, of course, also have Monday Madness every Monday where we sit back, we relax, we talk about topical things. We have fun uh, discussions. We talk new movies, give reviews, news play games, all the fun stuff on Monday Madness. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music, and everywhere else, wherever you may listen to podcasts. And subscribe, ding the notification bells over on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel for Monday Madness in its full video glory and a whole bunch of other fun stuff we have over on the youtube channel we already spoke about the patreon and the donation links before but you can also find the show on twitter at it's a wonderful one follow there and you can find me at the purple don with a three instead of the e in the because janine three is the magic number on instagram at the purple don all your Oh, I don't know what descriptor to use. Things I wear. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find that at our Teespring shop. Just search uh, It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. 
You can really tell my brain's not working this morning. I can't even come up with an adjective. <laughs> it's okay. Terrible. Shocking. Anyway, well, don't, there is no, no don't come up. <laughs> I'm like, don't come up with a, a terrible impression that I have to do either. Oh, I certainly <laughs> will be doing. There's 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 two nice voices in this movie, Jimmy. Oh, no. We always like you doing one of them whenever he shows up, don't we? I think. So please to finish us off. I want to George Sanders, please. No, I'm not married. Three, two, one. Hi. Bye. Bye. <laughs>